Greetings, Apostolic Review family. I wanted to take a moment here and give a huge congratulations to Dr. Clay Jackson and his wife, Jana, on the birth of their daughter. The Apostolic Review community love and appreciate you both. Welcome to the Apostolic Review, a community of apostolic authors, bloggers, podcasters, and theologians. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing someone I count as a friend, author Stephen Gill. Stephen Gill began his writing career in 2014 at the age of 21. He has written three books. We will talk today about his journey as an author and his latest book, The History and Development of the Trinity. We hope you enjoy. We have Brother Gill here with us today, and man, I'm excited uh, to have my friend, Brother Gill. Thank you for uh, joining us. I'm excited to be able to speak with you. How have you been? I've been great. Uh, Brother Chester, it's good to be with you. Um, it's uh, it's always an honor, and uh, our paths don't cross often enough, honestly. I, I, for being from West Virginia, I do a terrible job of getting back out that way, so. Oh man, that's kind of like bombshell. I I'm, I must have forgotten that you're from West Virginia. Yeah, Park, Parkersburg, West Virginia is where I was born. Wow, I just always assumed because I've I saw you so many times in Indiana. That was always my uh, uh, a sighting of Stephen Gill or at conferences. So I I claim oh, great, I do man. claim yeah, Hoosier we'll... status. Yeah, I do I do claim Hoosier status for sure. Uh, I was you know I was raised here, so in my mind I'm. You know, I'm a Hoosier. If anybody ever asks you what a Hoosier is, uh, or if they try, if they're from Indiana and they try and tell you, uh, they're probably lying to you. Nobody really knows what it is, uh, but it's just somebody from Indiana. So yeah, I uh, yeah, I was born in Parkersburg, <laughs> West Virginia, and uh, you know, I was there for a few years, and then we moved out here and been a Hoosier ever since. Wow. Well, we'll have to talk about that some more. And yeah, I I, I agree. We don't see each other uh, near enough, but man, excited about this conversation today. Uh, there's a few things that I'd like to cover with you, especially related to your books and your um, writing ministry. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to discuss um, your upbringing, your your spiritual history. Um, I was thinking about this today. This is basically an introduction for many in the AR community to uh, Brother Gill, um, who they're not they may not be familiar with you. And I was I was thinking about this, and I. I um, was curious just to hear about maybe your your conversion experience. I thought our listeners would uh, be interested in 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 hearing about this. So give us a little background of your your spiritual history. Yeah. Um, so uh, like I said, I was born in uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, Doctor Joe Nelson's church out there was uh, the church that uh, we would have attended when I was born. Um, my my parents, my biological parents, got divorced when I was pretty young, and so we. Uh, we moved out to uh, Indiana when I was, uh, I want to say two or three years old, we moved to Indiana. It was just me and my brother and my mom and uh, out in Indiana. So uh, the church that um, she called home there uh, was, um, it, it was a really special place for our family. My my grandmother uh, was one of, one of the first uh, converts to that church. It was uh, Brother William Mauser in Greentown, Indiana, oh, was wow. uh, was the pastor wow. out there. And, uh, he, uh, he had a good work. And so we, we were there. Um, I was maybe, see, it would have been, uh, 1999, November of 1999 is when I was baptized in Jesus name and received the Holy ghost. So I would have been uh, six years old. 
and uh, we, uh, our, our family is actually an incredible, that, that whole story is pretty wild. We, so that night, uh, my older brother and I uh, both got the Holy Ghost, both got water baptized in Jesus' name, and my little brother's baby dedication was that, that night as well, or maybe that morning. And so all that happened in, in one day. We, John, my older brother and I both got Holy Ghost, both got baptized, and Michael got dedicated. So it was a, that was a pretty pretty neat night. I have a picture of that uh, back there on the wall. Um, I don't know if you can see it in the frame, but yeah, that uh, that so that's kind of how we ended up in Indiana. And and I've been I've been wow. apostolic my whole life, but um, I was not uh, I certainly wasn't um, you know raised in ministry. Uh, my parents uh, you know love them to death. They're uh, they're hardworking people, good people. They, uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, always when I was younger, um, I tell people that, you know, I, I was 13 years old when I felt like God called me, uh, to ministry, but mm-hmm. uh, my mentality with it is kind of, you know, God chose me when I was 13, but I didn't really choose him until I was, you know, maybe 19 or 20. Um, you know, like I said, I was, I was raised, uh, in church, but not in ministry. And, um, you know, for, for those that maybe are, are in ministry or, or thinking about, you know, trying to get into ministry that have that same story. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating, um, when all of your friends are pastor sure. kids or they're, you know, they're evangelist kids or missionaries kids. And so you, you kind of try and find your way, you know, like, well, what, you know, you know, I, I'm, I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to do. I like preaching. I, I still do like to preach. And, and that, uh, certainly felt like, uh, something that I could do, but um, the truth of the matter was, as I got older, um, you know, I you just you go through phases where you you realize that maybe uh, what God's called you to do, or maybe you know, may, maybe what you've been through in your life and what you've seen and what you you know, maybe all of your experiences were were really meant for good. You know, maybe you know, maybe somebody else meant them for evil, but God meant it for good. And so you're you you use those things and you cultivate you know, some skills that way. And so, um, you know, I, I, I would be lying if I said that when I, when I first started out trying to, to sort of get into to ministry, um, I'd probably be lying if I said there wasn't some insecurity attached to it as far as, you know, why start, you know, why did I start writing really young and why did I, uh, just, and still to this day, I suppose, um, just read like a fiend, and um some of that probably was rooted in, in some insecurity you know some of that was um you know you look at you know you look at your friends around you and you kind of look at the whole kind of the world of, of of leadership and ministry and you you know you think well you know i maybe you know you know maybe i can't have the last name of that guy but you know but maybe i can work harder you know maybe i can't be in maybe i'm not as talented as as so and so but maybe if i work twice as hard in this area you know and so you find out really what are, you know, where are your strengths? What are, where are you, uh, what are you able to do? What, what has God gifted you to do? And then, and, and you dig in. And so I don't, I think that I, I don't want to jump ahead of the, the, the track here, but I, I hope that answers your question. So brother Gill, let's talk about your writing, uh, to date. Obviously, I think it's impressive that you've already written multiple books. Uh, three, I believe is what you have written. Uh, especially given that you are a a younger man. So how old are you, Brother Gill? I am 29 years old. 29. So from 
Communication internally within the AR community, I know this is equal parts for some inspiring and convicting. I want to be honest with you about that. Um, I think your accomplishments thus far leave uh, people in awe and also wondering what they're doing with their lives. And that's a direct quote from one of our, our team members. Um, you know, I hope you're inspiring other young people, older people to embrace um, these challenging uh, goals. And I remember back when you wrote your, your first book, um, tell us, tell us the title of your first book and um, how, how did that book come about for you? Yeah. So yeah, my first book was not another uh, discovering the primitive Judaic Christian church in the 21st century. So uh, a mouthful of a title. I hadn't, I hadn't learned the art of brevity. I don't think yet when I, um, when I started that, my my first book was um, it just largely inspired by uh, a lot of the reading that I had been doing up to that point. So uh, going back to what I was saying right. before about, you know, you get to a you do get to a point where, um, you know, you've got to just finally answer some questions like, are, are you ever going to be comfortable in your own skin, doing your own uh, doing what you know you're mm. supposed to do in ministry? Are you always going to be trying to imitate, you know, somebody else or do what somebody else is doing? And, um, the truth is, is like, mm. I, you know, I, I, yeah. I never felt like, you know, I, you know, maybe my best friend's, you know, dad or something is, is, you know, preaching the biggest conference in, in the UPC or the ALJC or whatever. And, you know, maybe I got this other friend that's just the, the most dynamic singer, the most dynamic musician. And you can spend, you can kind of, you know, one of two ways, you know, you can either take that and say, okay, well, you know, maybe those aren't my gifts. That's not my talent, but. I'm never going to achieve anything if I don't at least put the same amount of work and dedication into my craft as they do uh, into theirs. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I just, you know, I decided that, um, you know, what, whatever it was going to be, um, I felt like God was, was, you know, drawing me to, uh, to, to just at, at really at that point in my life, just spend more time uh, studying. And I think that that was just probably where I had missed it. You know, yeah. I had spent, um, I have been raised in the church, but I was 19, 20 years old. And uh, I don't think to that point in my life, I had read the Bible cover to cover. I mean, I, it was one of those, it was just a time in my life where I was, okay, well, you know, what are you doing? And, and what makes you think you're qualified, you know, to even be in ministry? And I think that that was, it was both a challenge and also, and, and it, to be honest, it, sometimes maybe it's still something that, that crosses my mind is, is, you know, what, what really, you know, what, what are you doing today? um to make you better than you were yesterday and and maybe it's not self-evident mm. you know just because you feel called to be in ministry well a lot of people are called but you know it's not necessarily evident to me that everybody that has a calling uh should just start pursuing it you know maybe uh maybe there's some cultivation yeah. that has to happen first and and so um and and not everybody even uh you know makes it that far you know some people feel the call and that's all they ever wanted they just they wanted the call and they wanted to to feel called and, and they're, and they're confident in that. And that's, uh, you know, that's between them and God. But, uh, I, I did wrestle a lot with the insecurity aspect of it. You know, it's, it, what exactly do you think you're bringing to the table? And, um, so, you know, I just, I, I was, I remember being 19, I was living in my, my first apartment with some, some buddies, uh, who are all, you know, married with kids now. And, and, uh, we had that apartment. I, I remember I, the first three books that I bought or four, four books, the first four books that I bought, uh, I think ever really for myself was um, <laughs> David Bernard's three volume church history series, uh, which you can, you can still buy today on TPH. 
And then I also purchased right. um, uh, Ancient Champions of Oneness by William Chalfont. Um, and so I bought these books mm. and I don't, to be honest, I don't know why I started with church history. I don't, um, it was one of those things. I had spent a lot of time at that point in my life with uh, Brother Jeremy Lang, who you and I both know. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd yes. go to bookstores together and, and I didn't, I didn't know, you know, anything from anything. I mean, I, I just, we'd go and wander around and, you know, he, he did spend some time investing in me at that point in my life, you know, kind of showing me the ropes of like, well, Hey, um, if you're going to, if you're going to improve or if you're going to learn, you know, it, there really is no shortcut. You just need to start digging somewhere. And so, you know, I'd always been interested in history. Right. So I thought, well, I'll start there. And, um, I read all four of those books pretty quick and I was hooked. I mean, it was after that, I, I, I don't know if wow. I ever took my foot off the gas, you know, after that's been, you know, almost 10 years ago now. And, and actually it has been 10 years. That's, I'm 29. It's been 10 years. And so, um, I just didn't take my foot off the pedal after that. I just, uh, you know, I, I kept, I just kept buying books and, um, and you know, the, the, I think the, the best part of that time in my life for me, and I, I do miss this. And, and I think that the more that you, the more, especially if you're a reader, um, there's that, there's a joy that kind of comes with discovery. Uh, you're reading something new for the first time, something, yeah, the lights kind of come right. on and, and, yes, uh, you miss that feeling. And I, and I, I do, I think I missed, there was a, there was a passion, a little bit of zeal that comes with that. And, and that zeal is really what inspired that first book. So, you know, I had, by the time I was I didn't start writing the first book until I was maybe, um, I was 22. I think when I started writing it, so it was a few years, you know, that I had spent after, you know, so over the course of those three or four years, I probably had, had bought and read, I was, you know, dozens, maybe a hundred or so different books on, on church history and, and theology. And, you know, I was learning all these schools of thought for the first time. I was learning what the doctrine of the Trinity really was for the first time. I was learning what, uh, you know, the history mm -hmm. of the Catholic church. And I was learning the history of the Pentecostal movement and the denominational movements and all, you know, all of that was brand new to me. And it just, it started to just spark a lot of zeal in me that, Hey, this is something that not only that I really care about, but it's also, you know, something that I felt like, man, why don't more people talk about this? And so, um, yeah, yeah after so right. many years of, of that, I just decided, and I, I tell everybody this that asked me about writing is that the, the truth of the matter is, is, um, more people than not that I've met that want to write a book, you know, they say that, um, Something like six percent, I think, of the population determines in their mind uh, to write a book at some point in their life. But of that six percent, only about one percent of that six will ever start, and one percent of that one percent will ever actually finish. And so, um, which is all the more complicated by the fact, all the more complicated by the fact that only one percent of the population, uh, you know, reads. I think something like fifteen percent buy books, less than fifteen percent, and like one percent reads. And so, um, you know, but if you are somebody who feels that way, that you want to, you want to get interested in, in writing or you want to start it, um, you just have to get to a point where you feel like you have something to say. And and I know that sounds simple, sure. but the truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of people who I know that are very qualified, very intellectual, very anointed. Um, but the reason they don't write right. is because they feel like, well, nobody cares what I have to say. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not like I didn't wrestle. I wrestled with those demons, too. I was a 20, 20 something year old kid, 22 year old kid, didn't come from ministry. At that point, I had only just enrolled in college. I did not enroll in college right out of high school. 
And so uh, there was all kinds of that stuff beaten down on me. But I, I, I just felt I felt strongly right. enough that I had I, you, I, I felt like I know the time I've invested. I know what I've studied. I know I know what I've devoted myself to. And so I'm, I'm confident that even if people don't buy it for me or people don't care about the material because of my name, that I want the content to be able to stand on its own, you know, independent of whatever somebody might think of me personally, I want the content to be good. And so I try, you know, my first book um, was written with a lot of that zeal. It's, I would say today, you know, I had no editor, you know, it was, it was a, it was a one man band. I was the, I was the writer. I was the researcher. I was the editor. I was the publisher. You know, I did everything myself. And, and, um, I think that if you, it, I've went back before and it's, it's kind of like going back and listening to yourself preach. It makes you cringe. Um, you know, but I have went back mm-hmm. and read some of the early stuff and yeah, it's very polemical. You know, it's very, it's very argumentative. It's very, uh, at times I would even characterize it as brash, you know, but I don't, I, I don't really feel yeah. bad about that. Cause that's who I, that's who I was at the time. You know, I was, I was very zealous about the material right. and I felt, um, so, I wanted other people yeah. to be that way too. And, you know, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. That's really good the, uh, for our listening audience, you know, the the process. And and I, I can't imagine the feelings, especially as a young man, in the framework of what you were talking about of, of, of Pentecostal history and looking at other ministers and and really wanting to do what God wanted you to do. So I'm, I'm really kind of interested, and you may have already covered just a little bit, but what did, what did you really hope um, that your first book would accomplish? Like w- once you put it out there, what, what did you hope that it was going to accomplish? Um, so when I was researching the first book and even, even up to my latest book, the the most recent one that just came out, it's, it's a lot of the, my first and my first book and my latest book are, uh, they're, they're connected in, in, in my heart, at least. Right. Because yes. What, what, what happened in the, what happened that. with the first book was, was very much a, the first book was kind of the seed that was planted that eventually grew into, to the book I just recently wrote. And I don't think I understood all the principles uh, fully at the time. But what I did know is that when I studied history and when I read history, I felt like I was a part. I genuinely felt like as the oneness Pentecostal movement, I felt like I was a part of not just the, the greatest you know revival in the West or the greatest uh, quote unquote denomination. I felt like I'm connected to the true church. And we've got evidence that all of this other stuff that calls itself Christianity is is contaminated. It's fruit of the poisonous tree. And I guess um, mm. some of that really started to my, the wheel started to turn when I was started college. You know, um, and I, I, we can talk more about this in a bit. But I went to Indiana Wesleyan University, is a denominational Bible school, obviously. And uh, as going to a Trinitarian yes. school. Um, I kind of had the impression when I enrolled in that college, man, I'm going to be around some of the, the, the greatest academic minds, the, the greatest theological, hermeneutical, exegetical minds, you know, and, and, um, yeah, or or maybe not even the greatest, but maybe just people that were smarter than me, you know, or, or maybe smarter than my pastor, Mm -hmm. you know, and not, not, not to be, you know, disparaging. I'm just saying, who knows, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never been in college. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So. And so right. I, I decided um, after about, it probably wasn't fair, but after about maybe four weeks at, at Wesleyan, I realized 
that the that oneness Pentecostalism really does have the greatest thing going in the entire world. We've got the best preachers, the mm. best speakers, wow. the best communicators, the, the best teachers. Uh, you know, I got to listen to, you know, I some of my professors were the guys that wrote my textbooks. So, I mean, like, you know, big name guys on, on the Wesleyan Church board, you know, guys that, uh, two, I know for a fact you'd recognize one of the names if I said it. Um, yeah. You know, guys that guys that are movement in the, in the oneness Pentecostal movement, they flock to, you know, they're buying their books, they're buying their CDs, they're reading their material They're They want their content because they see something that they think is, you know, is effective, you know, something that they, they can help them. And maybe it can. But more than what what shocked me was how I, I started to wake up and realize how insecure Pentecostalism really is. And 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 what I mean by that is um we lack in literature, you know, we lack in media, we mm-hmm. lack in, there's, yeah. we don't have, you know, the biggest voice in the world. And yet when I, as somebody who's kind of went to the other side and came back, I genuinely believe, um, I'm convinced that all the oneness Pentecostal movement has to do is wake up and, and shake off the insecurity a little bit and realize the world really does need what you have to offer. I was I was almost indignant Amen. about it to I the like point it. where I was like, you know, um, I'll tell you a story. I was in my first year is my first year at the school. Um, and I, I don't know if you've ever been in like a denominal classroom like that before, like in a in that kind of a setting. But um, generally, the way our classes would open up is that the professor would take prayer requests. And if it was a if it was like a Bible class, it was like related to our degree. Um, we might have a minister or something as a teacher. And so there would be like a prayer request board. And then the professor would kind of say a, a quiet prayer uh, or it would just be a silent prayer. Like the professor wouldn't pray out loud, neither would the students. And we would just and then we'd go forward. Well, I was a few weeks into my this was like my first semester, my first class, my first year. I had uh, I was maybe four or five weeks in and I showed up to class. And there was an elderly gentleman in the class who his wife had been diagnosed with uh, with kidney cancer. And he had asked uh, uh, a prayer request for her. And uh, the professor mm-hmm. uh, stopped that, you know, normally, like I said, the process, you just you write the prayer request on the board and then, you know, you move on. He stops the class and he right. said, hey, uh, he said, Stephen. And I said, yeah, he said, will you do me a favor? I said, sure. He said, will you? come and lay hands on Robert and pray for him the way that you do in your church. And, and he knew I was Pentecostal. Wow. All the, prof- the professors knew, the professors knew the affiliations of all the students. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I said, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And so I, I, I went over and I laid hands and I started to pray for him. And for, you know, for the, so for the first time in that class, especially, and, and to my, to my recollection, maybe the, the, the one of the few times ever um, that I was a student there, I laid hands on and began to pray. And uh, we prayed out loud. Uh, all of a sudden, the class starts joining in and, you know, people gather. The professor starts crying. The students are start crying. I mean, it was a totally wow. different atmosphere than wow, what we Lord. were used to. And um, yeah. at the end of that prayer, I just said, you know, as emphatically as I could in, in Jesus name, uh, because, well, up until that point, it was always in the name of your dear son or, uh, you know, in the name of the father and the son and the Holy, you know, invoking the name for some reason just wasn't super popular. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I prayed yeah. in the name of Jesus. And so the, I, you know, and, and I don't even think I have to finish the story for you. I came back in next, the next week and that elderly gentleman yeah. walked in and he said, I've got a, a praise report. He said, my wife's cancer is in remission. And so, um, you know, that wow. it, it was Man, one of those chills, times bro. where, 
what what woke it woke me up a little bit to realize um that we have to get out of the mindset that uh we so that for some reason we need to apologize uh for oneness or we need to apologize uh for holiness yes. or we need to apologize for and so that's why i wrote the first book uh was was a hey um you know i, I know that the world seems like it seems like we're outnumbered you know it's like it really does seem like at times yeah. as a Pente especially in the west you know it seems like hey as a pentecostal maybe you feel outnumbered but you're not outnumbered and uh you know, awesome. I, I, I learned a lot during that time that, you know, Pentecostalism is the fastest growing part of Christianity in the world today for a good reason. And that That's reason right. is because yeah. there, it turns out there actually is power in the name. You know, it turns out it actually does matter uh, how you baptize. It does matter, you know, and and yes, um, that's why I wrote the book was I, I wanted to give Pentecostals, if I could, I wanted to equip them with some boldness yeah. of like, hey, what, what you've got is right. Like, stop questioning Stop questioning whether or not what your pastor is, is preaching or teaching or, you know, stop questioning whether or not, oh, is it, is it the Trinity or is it the oneness or do we baptize or is holiness essential? It's like, if, if you study history long enough, you're going to find out we're the real deal. And I've never met to this day. That's all my time wow. in Indiana Wesleyan, all my time in, in other other schools, other things like that, teaching other places. Um, and even in, uh, uh, you know, uh, current stuff that I'm involved in right now. I've never met a Trinitarian intellectual that would challenge me uh, or that would that had any uh, any real opposition to the idea that, yes, the first church baptized in Jesus name. Yes, the first church spoke in tongues. Yes, the first church believed in healings and miracles, signs and wonders. You know, it's um, when you get that understanding that, hey, we're the real deal. Um, who knows? Maybe that means we'll start acting like the real deal. And so that that was kind of what motivated the first Very the good. first book. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Brother Gil. It's so good, so rich, uh, powerful. I, f I feel the Holy Ghost, uh, you sharing that testimony. And you just went ahead and dived into the educational part. We're going to get to your book. I want everybody to know. We got, we're, we're kind of doing an introduction, but we're going to get to talk about his book. But I do want to spend just a couple more moments here um, about your education because that that's something that's been discussed in our community uh, quite a bit. There's been ongoing discussions about the pros and cons, of education via non-apostolic institutions. So uh, I'd like for you to comment, if you could, uh, for a moment on what was or what is your approach to receiving a biblical education from a university that defers or, yeah, is different, um, differs from oneness theology? Yeah, um, I this will sound like such a middle-of-the-road answer, but the, this is the honest truth is it does depend on the individual. So. Um, you know, when I, mm. uh, not to go too much into my personal sense. history, I guess, you know, but, uh, I, uh, at the time that I was thinking about enrolling in Bible school, got, going back to my first point about insecurity, you know, it's insecurity. It's, you know, it's fight or flight. You know, you're either going to, you're either going to get better or you're going to run mm. away. And I was at this point in my life where I did feel insecure about ministry. I felt insecure about, you know, what, what exactly am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And I, I was I was dating somebody at the time who uh, her pastor or her father pastored a, a, a good good sized church in, in Texas and uh, a pretty pretty prominent church in their area and uh, there was some there were some hopes at the time that uh, from them that I was going to uh, maybe maybe uh, enroll in a, a Bible college down there and and be involved uh, mm -hmm. and go that road you know go to go to the oneness school be involved in the church, et cetera. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, you know, it was very much on my mind that maybe I would do that. And, sure. 
Um, something I, you know, something I, it's funny how God connects you to people at certain times. And uh, I had recently at that point in my life, I had gotten connected with Brother Bobby Kilman at Indiana Bible College. And uh, Brother Kilman's always been a, a, a big inspiration to me. And uh, and I remember talking to him, uh, you know, about his experience because he went to he went to Grace uh, College here, which is a, a denominal uh, school, not not one that's affiliated. And uh, Grace or Liberty, mm-hmm. uh, if he ever listens to this, I apologize if I got his alma mater wrong. But um, he uh, I remember talking to him about that. And um, I just kind of came to this this realization that I. For some people, if you if you were raised in Pentecost and what you struggle with the most really is the community of Pentecost. Mm. I mean, you struggle with uh, whether Mm. it is uh, understanding how, you know, how to be effective in your local church. If you're struggling with, you know, maybe, maybe you don't struggle at all with doctrine, but you're trying to find your way a little bit and what you're supposed to do. And, uh, or maybe, and you know, this is not a, this is not a bad reason to go to Bible college. Um, for networking, you know, and to connect with people and to, and to grow, yeah. uh, that in that direction. And so maybe that's why you go, but, um, you know, there, but there's another side to it. And that is, you know, what exactly do you plan on doing with the things that you're going to learn? And for me, you know, I, I just felt like I could spend four years agreeing with people on things we already agree on. And, for some people, it would be fine because their their motivation is not digging into, uh, you know, they're not trying to to uh, expand understanding or or even to delve into areas of right. knowledge they didn't have before. You know, that's not their goal, and so there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But if your goal if your goal is to be challenged, like you're like you know, it's not it's not that um, theology was not. It, that, I'll say it this way: Trinitarian theology was not a a um um it, it it wasn't collateral damage for me going to bible college it's not like it was oh well i'm actually going for other reasons but i'm going to have to endure this when i go there no it was the main reason i was going like the primary reason i went to indiana wesleyan was to be challenged you know to be challenged on doctrines yeah. about holiness on sanctification and so if if you're going into it with that mindset that yeah i know exactly you know what i'm getting into and that's the whole point that's why i'm going uh, well, in that case, um, if, if you've prepared yourself and you understand, you know, what you're doing, uh, then it can be an effective training tool because what it did for me was I went to that school with a chip on my shoulder a little bit. I mean, I went to that school with a, I know I'm right. They're going to be throwing the Trinity, you know, they're, they're just going to be throwing it down my throat, trying to convince me, whatever. And I'm going to stand for truth for four years. Yeah. And I then I you. showed up to the school, you know, I showed up to the school and it was, boof, it was not like that at all. I showed up to the school and it was very right. much like a, hey, Stephen, like you, you spent this whole time thinking they don't know oneness. You know, maybe you don't know oneness. Maybe you don't know it the way you think you know yeah. it. And, you know, maybe maybe there's some things, believe it or not. I know we, we have a hard time with this in Pentecost. Believe it or not, there are oneness Pentecostals today who cannot articulate a proper understanding of That's the oneness exactly of God. Right. And, yep. and so, I agree. And so maybe before, you know, but before I go after a Trinitarian for their, what I perceive as incorrect theology, and I do, maybe I, I had better get my own house in order. And so that's what Indiana Wesleyan helped me do was it got my house in order because I knew like, you know, um, my, my second or third year there in my theology class, we, we did a big discourse on the doctrine of the Trinity and it was, it was a three hour debate discussion. And so 
guess what? That forced me to spend hours. I spent like six or seven hours that week, you know, listening to lectures on father son language by brother Bobby Kilman. I was reading books. I was taking notes. I was reading the word. Like I, it forced you to exercise. Like it it forced you to like, Hey, you're either going to like, you're going to dig in and you're either going to learn a lot more or you're going to break and you're not going to know what you believe. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and right. so that was kind of the, you know, it, it and it helped me a lot too. You know, I, I tell people a lot, I, I, I don't, you know, uh, don't, <laughs> as my pastor would say, don't take it how I mean it. Um, but my, in my classes, my, my, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my least, I think my least enjoyable class, my least favorite professor actually turned out to be a, a Pentecostal and my favorite professor that I had in college against all odds, she was Catholic. And what I mean by favorite, not favorite, did we agree on theology? No, we did not agree on doctrine. But it was the 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 way that she approached education was. I, I've got to be honest enough with myself to say that if if somebody yeah. I disagree with says something I disagree with, I had better be able to respond with something better than, well, I know I'm right and you're wrong. And it's, you know, you, you've got Very to be good. a little bit more thoughtful about how you approach Very good. Uh, disagreement. And so um, good. Wesleyan was a good experience for me. I, it did give me boldness because I realized that the denominal world does not have what Pentecost has. Uh, they don't see demonstration like we see it. Um, in my opinion, their preaching is shallow. Their theology is shallow. Um, I'm, you know, this is not to, to, to rip on anybody, but there are major denominational thinkers who, again, if I would name, you would know, um, who I have truly come to understand they don't hold a candle to some of the preaching that we hear at our camps and our conferences because the stuff that's birthed in the spirit through prayer that, ha- you know, there is something different about Pentecost and that, you know, Wesleyan woke me up to that. You know, I, I think I, I may have, I don't that's know if incredible. I shared this with you or not, but, um, you know, during my time there, I had an opportunity to connect with a, with an AME church pastor at African Methodist Episcopal, uh, an AME pastor and his wife. And uh, through through our our conversation, this was a man who uh, going into the, our theology class that semester was a Trinitarian. And by the end of the class, he had he started visiting Calvary Tabernacle with me in Indianapolis where Brother Mooney was still pastoring. And him and his wife both received the Holy Ghost there. And to this day, if I'm not mistaken, he's still preaching oh, oneness. My but he's preaching it in an AME church. And so it's, you know, you, it it just kind of, it just woke me up a little bit. It's like, okay, yeah, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like a, Hey Stephen, you've got, you've got doctrine. Sure. But number one, you may not have it like you think you do. And, and that was true, by the way, there was a lot of things that I thought I knew and I didn't know anything about. And I could, and I could go into the specifics if you want, but, but you know, uh, I didn't understand sonship. I didn't understand the humanity of Christ. I didn't understand father and son language. Right. You know, those those were things that that it, it took time on the potter's wheel to realize, hey, okay, yes, I believe in the mighty God in Christ, that the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ bodily. I believe in Jesus' name. That's all great. But there's more to it. And so, um, you know, yes. for me, it was a good experience. Um, would I recommend it for everybody? No, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. I I think that it it really does depend on what what are your individual goals? You know, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go to school for, uh, you know, you know, whatever, nursing, you know, I don't necessarily recommend that you go spend all your time at, well, and I would say it, it, you know, whether it's it's a homino school or even any liberal arts college now is, is, you know, a a challenge. 
period, just because of the, the secular, and we can get into that as well. My attitude towards higher education has changed over the last uh, couple of years. Yeah. You know, when I, even from the time that I enrolled in college to now, the college campuses have changed so drastically that I have, I've really become an advocate for independent education, for independent learning institutions. You're starting to see, um, and, and some of it's theological, some of it's secular. Uh, you're starting to see guys like Jordan Peterson is founding his own online university. Uh, you're starting to see, uh, some Christian organizations that are founding online learning programs. I'm becoming a big advocate for those programs because the university culture has become so infected in the West. And so it's, I, I don't recommend it for yeah. everybody. Um, but, but if your heart is right and your, and your motives are pure, um, I think that it can be an experience that, that you grow in for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that brother Gill. That's, that definitely, uh, truly sets the stage for talking about your book. Cause I really wanted to spend some time just to kind of understand the framework, um, where you're coming from your drive and desire. And man, what an incredible testimony, um, many testimonies from being on that, that, that campus. And, uh, what an example of really making a difference and not just taking a back seat as some kind of a second class, <laughs> you know, group of people. I, I commend you for that. And that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. So, um, I do, I do want to get into your book, the history and the development of the Trinity. And, um, uh, uh, we can tell that you decided, you know, to go for a light subject. <laughs> I say that sarcastically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, let's start, let's start here, um, on this, um, what inspired you, um, to write this book? Um, I think you've already given a little bit of a background, but more, more directly, uh, what would you say inspired you? Uh, to launch uh, this particular project? So, um, you know, church history has, has been my primary focus um, in study. And I say church history that when I say church history, you got to understand that, that, that means, that means world history. That means theology. That means right. there, there's so much that's tied into that. You know, it's, it's not a, I know that's a, a reductionist phrase, but um has been really my focus for for the last 10 years and so um i had the opportunity well last summer uh to to uh present a a, a short paper at the yes. assemblies of the lord jesus christ had a had a doctrine symposium and uh brother nate whitley had reached out to me uh, i believe it was the year prior maybe in uh, maybe in 2018 it was before COVID and all that, um, to be a contributor and it was a good idea. And it was this thing that they kind of had wrong. Well, and then it, you know, COVID hit and that, that all got put on pause. Mm -hmm. Well, so by the time 2021 rolled around, um, and it was time to do the, the symposium, I had already kind of had it in my mind that eventually one day I really wanted to do a, a meaningful, uh, codified history of, what eventually came, amounted to everything that I had invested so much time studying over the last 10 years. And so that, and that happened to tell a story like that did happen to tell a particular story. But the truth of the matter is, is, um, you know, number one, I really did. Uh, and I, I, I do not, I don't mean this in a negative way at all towards, towards anybody. Cause I, I've, this is to me, this is the way that you start and the way that you grow. Um, and I, and I encourage everybody to start writing no matter how short or how long, but I did feel like when I looked at my bookshelves, um, I really felt like 
Pentecost, oneness Pentecostalism, at some point we have to get beyond the hundred page paperback in academia. So yeah. what yeah. what I mean is no, I hear you. Uh, I've got I you know, some some of the most incredible books that I've read, um are they are those one hundred page paperbacks from Pentecost, you know? And so I'm that I don't mean that mm-hmm. disparaging at all. Those are all books that I recommend. I think you should read and quite honestly, many of them have more depth to them than some of the textbooks I had in college. So I d I don't mean that sure. I don't mean to imply like like uh that it's, no, it's point not, taken. You know, I understand worth your what you're time. Saying. Yeah. What, right. what what I mean though is is um when it comes to academia, when it comes to like um leaving something for the next leaving something behind for the next generation that they can it's a it's a well that they can draw from for resources, uh for yes. for sources themselves and um for a, a more complete holistic picture of what do we believe and why do we believe it. Um, I did feel a burden to, okay, well, if you really feel that way, um, then maybe you need to be the one that does it instead of complaining. Cause I, cause I was a part of that. You know, my first book was, you know, maybe 120 page paperback. My second book, you know, roughly the same thing. And so it was like, okay, well, if you think that we need to focus harder and try harder and do Excellent. more then okay, then start doing it, you know? And so, um, I, I had it in my mind to try it and to be honest, like everybody else. I've, you know, life is busy and you kind of, things get, you know, put to the side. And I just decided that, uh, well, when the time comes, it'll come. When the symposium started, uh, I had reached out to uh, a, a good friend of mine, Brother Brown at Indiana Bible College, who he still teaches uh, church history there. Um, and I had uh, reached out to him just with some fine point questions on my presentation, you know, things that I kind of want to know, okay, if I've only got X amount of time, key areas of emphasis, you know, what do you think I should leave in? What do you think I should leave out, et cetera? And, you know, he responded and um, I started putting the paper together. And when the paper was finished, I realized that I had effectively in my hand, I had a 10 page outline for this book that I, you know, that I had wanted to write for a long time, which was a, I wanted to write a, okay, we've, we've heard in Pentecost or I have heard in Mm. Pentecost, especially if you're in ministry, You've heard, okay, yeah, the doctrine of the Trinity, it's, it's Greek philosophy and something about the Council of Nicaea. Like you, you've probably heard right. those two things. Right. But it doesn't even begin to answer the question about like, okay, well, what do you mean when you say it's Greek philosophy? And maybe more importantly than that, what is the Council of Nicaea and why should I care? And it's not necessarily mm. obvious to the denominational world. I'm learning that is that it's not necessarily right. obvious that the denominational world even cares about, you know, our, right. our mistake in Pentecost is thinking that you know, we, we were, we take for granted that we hold biblical inerrancy and infallibility above just about everything else. Well, what if you didn't? What if the creeds and the councils actually meant something to you? Well, then you've got a whole different challenge. You know, now it's not about, it's you can't point, point to creeds and say, look, that's not legitimate. You got to go deeper. And so, um, you know, I realized, okay, I've got this outline and this is all stuff I love talking about. It's stuff I love teaching and, you know, maybe I'll just put yeah. it all together. And so, I, uh, I, we did the symposium and then I had the opportunity to go present that material again at Brother Carpenter's Church in Maryville. And I just thought, okay, people are obviously interested in it. It seems like if people are reaching out to me with questions right. and people, all, you know, and to some degree, I thought, well, I, I kind of thought maybe people already knew a lot of this. And it turns out that, well, maybe a lot of people don't. And so if that's the case, um, tell the story, you know, tell, tell the whole story from the very beginning, you know, the, and so that's, uh, and and so that's how you know the book starts with the introduction of Greek thought to the Middle East, 
because it, you know, if you really want to understand, I, you know, I've, and I, I value it and I understand that the arguments that you can find trinities all the way in, you know, in, you know, the earliest presentations of, of writing in mankind and, and archaeology, you can look and find examples of what seem to be quasi trinities in, in ancient religions. And that, yeah, I, I see the validity. Um, but for an actual, the, the articulated doctrine of the Trinity that exists in the world today, the actual Trinitarian creed, the, the actual statement, what's its history? You know, it's like not, not, mm. um, not just theologically or even, uh, you know, not just, uh, you know, hypothetically or whatever, or whatever you might, ideologically speaking, but I mean, an actual history, how did this come to be? And so, um, the book starts with the, the introduction of Greek thought to the Middle East. Um, how that influenced the lives of the Jews and more importantly influenced their writing and their thinking and their culture and then the introduction of Christianity to the world and you know how you know you know you had these two competing conceptions of God at the time and Christianity is kind of sort of smashed in the middle because you know you've got well Christianity unlike Judaism Christianity is a religion of conversion and so you've got all these Gentiles right. now they're being brought into the fold and some of them don't have training yes. in the Hebrew Bible. Some of them aren't, you know, and so I started there and I took it all the way to where it ends. And I think the book ends in about 431 uh, AD. Um, so there's like 800 years there to work with. And I, you know, I wrote the whole book, uh, I think in five months, you know, I, I started writing it um, shortly after I got back from Maryville um, that summer of 21. And I finished writing it in December of 21. So it was it, it, I, basically that window of time is when I decided to, to knock it out. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up that um, the scholarly technical side of this book in particular. And we've talked about it within the AR community. Uh, um, and it's been referenced um, about this material being used uh, potentially in apostolic academic settings. So. I wanted you to uh, maybe tell us a little bit um, about the utilization so far of it uh, in regards to Brother Jeremy Lang's uh, Biblical Hebrew Online um, Academy. Um, if you could, you know, um, I'd, be, I'd be well. Let me let me let me say a couple more things. Uh, Sister Chesser pointed this out to me. Uh, you know that there had been this recent class offering in partnership with Brother Lang based on your book. So, uh, tell us about that, and will this be? be a repeated class offering through uh this academy yeah so the the class with brother lang um you know that kind of, it's funny how things turn out that it wasn't uh it wasn't necessarily obvious that that was going to happen my initial intention was you know i was gonna i knew i wanted uh to to market the book uh to to academic uh schools uh you know whether it was churches for their classes for the like whether it was christian schools or whether it was uh universities or what, whatever you know I, I i i wanted that but i had no idea how to uh to go about doing it and so i sort of tabled that idea and um just finished the book right. and i got it you know i was i was getting it wrapped up and and uh i kind of had it in my mind i was like you know i would i would really love um to have an outlet to teach this online, but I don't know the first thing about, you know, creating that kind of a, you know, a system or a network. So I reached out to brother Lang, um, and, you know, asked him, I said, you know, I, one in a million, I said, but I know you're using this to teach Hebrew. I said, have you ever thought about, uh, using BHAO to, to teach other classes? And he kind of just grinned ear to ear and he said, hold that thought. And he, he got sister Lang and he said, uh, 
He said, Amber, tell Stephen what you and I were just talking about the other night. And uh, turns out he had already been having those conversations with her that he was ready to start bringing Wonderful. in some other content and other other teachers. And so um, this sort of, you know, this connected well, because, well, if you read the book, you'll you'll get a lot of why that is. But um, this connected well with what he was already kind of talking about in the class and in and, and BHAO rather. And so uh, we, we had this idea. We're like, OK, we've got we've got the book and that's what I'll use. What about the students? And so uh, I spent the next few months. I wrote a curriculum for the class that can be it can be used um, for six week accelerated courses or it can be used for a full semester. Uh, it's, it's up to the, the oh, institution. Great, um, and so uh, I wrote the curriculum. It's, uh, you know, a bank of 250 testing uh, quiz and test questions, some 10 or 12 essay prompts, um, lecture outlines, things like that. And um, we put all this together and it sort of became the, the basis for the curriculum. And uh, yeah, we started we started teaching the class and we had a, a, just a great, they actually just finished their final. I haven't graded the point yet, uh, but they just finished their final um, last week, uh, this last week. And uh, we, we will definitely, yeah, it'll be a repeated class. Um, we're already talking about maybe launching another one in the fall. Um, Brother Lang is getting ready to do some, he's getting ready to do some traveling uh, over the next few months. And so logistically, we're going to try and figure out how to make that best work. But yeah, the goal is to certainly teach this uh, in the fall and anybody who wants to enroll can enroll. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, Fantastic. that's the goal. And as far as the, you know, the curriculum goes, um, I, excuse me, I did write the book uh, with the intention that, um, it, it would be something that could be used if that was the desire for it. So if you want to just sit down and read it cover to cover, I did my best right. to make it as palatable as possible. Um, but if you are somebody who's serious about teaching this material, um, I tried to give it enough breadth and, and certainly accompanying it with the curriculum, uh, to kind of equip educators. Um, and, uh, and I, I also see too, it's funny again, how things turn out because, you know, I do believe that we're going to see a, a, in oneness Pentecostalism, we're going to see a huge revival of uh, of people coming in from denominal movements into Pentecost over the next few years. Uh, it's already happening. I mean, you know, you're seeing entire churches right. converted overseas. Um, but in the United States, yes. it, it is happening here, too. We've had uh, we've had a number of families in our church that have recently come from denominal churches that are are coming to the understanding. And even globally speaking, um it was probably unheard of 50 years ago that TBN would have on a, a oneness Pentecostal preacher to come promote a book and talk about his beliefs. And, and right. well, and just a few years ago, brother Mangan had that opportunity. Um, the truth of the matter is whether yes, people want to uh, admit it or not, that the, 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 the uh, veracity of the doctrine of the Trinity, especially it is beginning to fade in the denominal movement. You're starting to see a lot of denominal churches that are, are go look at their statements of belief and their statements of faith online. And there, a lot of them are coming to the understanding that water baptism in Jesus name is, is essential. And I, and I credit, I do credit the oneness Pentecostal movement with being a vehicle for that to spread. And so I hope that my book uh, equips uh, ministers and educators with some, some real teeth that they can actually sit down and say, you know, it's not just, it's not just a, a theological or hermeneutical dispute. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity has a real history and it, and it is fruit of the poisonous tree in a lot of ways. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question there. 
Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, uh, answering that, and that's fantastic. And I, I love what I'm, I'm hearing and seeing, and, and I want to mention as well that uh, our home church back in West Tennessee uh, just experienced a, a local congregation. The pastor converted, was baptized uh, in Jesus' name, and is preaching uh, the doctrine and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So this is taking place, and 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 things are moving, and 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 thankful that that this is happening. So the topics discussed in the next segment are in large part. I'm going to give credit to Sister Chesser, who's uh, co-producing this this interview, and she wanted to help pick your brain a little bit um, as well. You you wrote your first book at the age of 21, and we have to assume that you've been studying and pondering deep issues for for some years. Uh, prior to that, in order to produce the type of material that that you are, we have a 13-year-old daughter, along with maturing into young adulthood and developing a deeper spiritual walk. There are many educational subjects, cultural matters, social issues, all competing for her headspace. It's it's a lot for a young uh, lady uh, to manage. So, talk to us a little bit about your perspective on the importance of this generation understanding oneness theology yeah yeah absolutely um so first of all i would say that um when it comes to the oneness thing in particular specifically um the the struggle that and i i remember this when i was younger but it, it, it is probably worse now is that if you're dealing with somebody who was maybe raised uh wesleyan or baptist or, or methodist or whatever I've never met a Trinitarian that will say that they, they, they will all say they believe in one God. You know, you, you, I've never met one that, that will say, right. yeah, I believe in three yeah, gods. I got but, but, but there is a difference between I believe there is one God and I believe God is one. You know, the devil, the devils believe there's one mm. God, you know, that thou, all, you know, and they believe right. in tremble. Believing God is one is something else. And so, um, the reason why it's essential that, that, the the younger generation get a, a hold of oneness in particular. Number one is because they're they're living in a um, possibly the first or second uh, predominantly unchurched generation of young people. Like it's it's not self evident mm. now when you're talking to somebody that uh, that's younger that True. they were even raised around the church or or you know. And so uh, number one is is you more than ever you need to be uh you, you need to be equipped uh not only to answer questions but to answer them uh in a way as though you're talking to somebody who is not churched and so um that means having an intimate understanding of the essentiality of father and son language in the new testament and not trying to always skip over it because you, it feels awkward or because yes. you don't you don't know what it means and uh right. because what's going to happen they're they're going to get there's no such thing as somebody in the world who, who doesn't believe something. They, they all believe something, you know, even atheists yes. believe something, you know, it's, it's, so it's a question of where are they going to draw their beliefs from? And so number one, you, you need to be well acquainted, but the, the more important, the weightier issue is that the power is in the name of Jesus. And that, um, when we say that that's not just Pentecostal rhetoric, I'm telling you, if you don't understand who Jesus is, if you don't understand that there's all sufficiency in that name, then you as an individual are not going to be equipped to combat the social and cultural issues that you were talking about. So, you know, all of these distractions mm -hmm. and all of these things that are thrown in front of our kids, um, 
you know, the powerful thing about oneness growing up to me was I knew that when I say Jesus, I get everything that I need. You know, that Jesus isn't Very just good. a prophet. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a priest. He's not the second person in the Godhead. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Um, there is power in that. And if you, um, if you're somebody who, you know, to your point about um, all the things that compete for our kids' attention uh, today, um, you know, yeah, it existed in my generation for sure. The millennials were, yeah, we were a pretty distracted generation. Um, Gen Z isn't going to be much better. In fact, it, it could easily be worse. And so um, I'm encouraged in some ways by what I see in the generation coming up. I'm also a little discouraged. I would say that if you're asking me um, as a young, as a young person contemplating these things and what, you know, um, how to, how to dig in at a young age, um, the very first thing, and I'm not saying this is a prescription for everybody, but it, it was a prescription for me. Uh, the very first thing that I did, believe it or not, when I was, I was 19 um, and I started reading all these books and whatnot is uh, I threw out my TV and it, it wasn't because I thought TV was going to damn me to hell. It was because it was distracting. <laughs> um, I, would yeah, I, would, I, I would sit down to read a book. I would, I would sit down to read a book and I would turn on, you know, a movie or, or something or a television or something, you know, whatever, you know, internet. And um, it, it, it became very apparent to me that, and it's not just TV, obviously it's, it's time management from phones and multimedia and things like that. Um, the truth of the matter is there is no substitute for um, sitting down and reading and writing. You, you learn differently reading and writing than you do audibly. You know, you learn different than you do visually. Right. When you're reading, when you're reading sure. and writing, you do engage with material in your brain. And so I'm not against audiobooks. I'm not against uh, watching uh, videos. I li- anybody who knows me, I'm a podcast fiend. I love to listen to podcasts. I like to watch things. But there is no substitute for reading and writing. And that really does take time and discipline. And that's something that um, if you if you want to be a step above your peer group, if you really want to take a step from, OK, I'm average to, OK, I'm, I'm trying to plug in and really be above average in my understanding of some things. Um, I really strongly would recommend that you find a way to take when I say complete time, I mean, complete isolated time away from your devices and sit down with a book and a notebook, sit down with the Bible, sit down and actually read and write and think, you know, writing is how you think. Um, If you, if you're, if you say, well, I don't know what to write, just read the Bible and just summarize what you've read and then move on, read some more, summarize what you've read. I've got notebooks. I've got notebooks galore on my shelves. That is literally just summaries of books that I've read. And it's not because Excellent. I thought I was going to publish those one day. It's because it was helping me remember what I was reading. And so right. um, that'd be my prescription. I'm not saying it's a fix all, but it's, it's fantastic. A start. Yes, sir. Well, thank you. And we're, we're getting close to the end here, brother uh, Gil, and we're so appreciative of your time. Um, we did have a question and then we're going to move into just some of these quick questions and then we'll wrap it up in, in prayer. Hopefully sure. the next, uh, five, 10 minutes here. Uh, but brother Aaron Davis, uh, sent this from our, uh, AR absolute review crew. He's, he's volunteering with us. He said, I'd like to hear his thoughts on the design and title of the book. Was your intention to make it somewhat ambiguous so that a Trinitarian might pick it up as well? (laughs) 
So uh, there's a funny story that goes goes with this, and I, I hope he I hope he watches this. But uh, brother oh, Jordan Fry yeah. can probably he can he can attest to some of this. So um, first of all, I would say that um, was it my intention to be ambiguous? No. And the reason why I say that confidently is because I genuinely do not expect that a oneness person should or or hopefully won't but should not take anything different from my book than a trinitarian would um this is not a theology book this is this is not this is not a book that is uh, meant to be uh, a persuasive essay of any kind um history is mm -hmm. written with uh what well, we make moral judgments we make value judgments when we write history you know if, right if thomas yeah. macaulay you know said that you know if if history were just a a full compilation of everything that's ever happened all the books in the world couldn't hold history and so well how do we decide what we write about well we make value judgments about what we write about so i'm not i'm not suggesting that there's no bias in that regard there is but uh, what i'm saying is that i want when somebody reads it the history should speak for itself trinitarian or oneness alike it's either good or it's not it's either it's either usable it's either it's either accurate or it's not i tried very hard uh, in every place that I could uh, to engage with primary source material. Um, I did my best not to to parrot um, historians and secondary sources when it was not absolutely critical to the material. So um, if I'm if I'm talking about Tertullian, I'm quoting Tertullian. I'm not reading books about him. I'm, I'm quoting his writing. Right. If I'm talking about Eusebius or, or Lactantius or Licinius or or Justin, I, I did my best to actually um, focus in on the primary source material and let you make up your own mind. You know, I want the reader to make up their own mind about what they're reading. It's not, I, I don't, um, I, di I did not intend to be um, deceiving in that way. I think that the, the history of the doctrine of the Trinity is the history. It, 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 it just, right. it, you know, in this regard, it's, it's not, it's not an ought, it's just an is, you know, you, you take from it what you will. It happened how it happened. And so, um, and I haven't found, to, to, and I would say as well, you know, I've, um, the the few trinitarians that i had that reviewed trinitarian uh people in my yeah, life that's that a, reviewed the material if i could if i could yeah, if i could they, go ahead because this will help yeah. you on this question because that was my next yeah. question have you had feedback responses from any readers who come from a trinitarian background yeah yeah 100 percent um and uh thus far the the uh <laughs> the the responses have effectively been um well uh, i i i don't argue with you at all on the history. I think that, yeah, you're right. That's, yeah, that's what it says. That's how it happened. I mean, we got it in black and white. Uh, but I, you know, for whatever reason, they might still disagree. There's one chapter in particular where I talk about first century perspectives on Jesus of Nazareth. So there is Bible, there's some Bible interpretation there. Um, I'll, I'll get some spirited conversation sometimes about that aspect of it. But on the actual history, never met anybody that disagrees on the writings of Justin or Tertullian or, or on understanding what happened at the Council of Nicaea or the first Council of Constantinople or the Bar Kokhba revolt or the Judean revolt of seven, like 68 to 70. I'm on the historical aspect. No, I, I've, everybody has told me, yeah, it's very sound. Uh, and it was, it was done the right way. So, um, but as for the, <laughs> have you got feedback in the, the buy and the, you were talking about the, uh, the artwork on the cover. So a funny story that, that goes with this, uh, so the cover is, Please. I have found out, the cover is provocative with oneness people. The Trinitarians, not bothered by the cover whatsoever. Oneness people, <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. I was at a, I'm not going to say where, 
I was at a conference uh, in another state that I'll just leave it at that. I was at a conference in another state that was promoting the book. <laughs> I hear you. Brother. And, uh, and uh, they, I was sitting in the crowd uh, right before service began and a woman came up to me and she was, I mean, she was agitated on her face and she comes up to me and she's pointing it at, at my seat. I've got my Bible and I've got a copy of the book because they're going to yeah. promote the book. So they want, you know, so it's sitting right there. She comes up to me and she said, I, I, I just can't. And she points and she goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I, for a minute, I thought you had the symbol of the Trinity on your Bible. I, I was about to say something. And she was like, I'm sorry, but what is that? What is that that's sitting on top of your Bible? I said, it's, it's, a, it's a book. That's all, that's all I said. I said, it's just a book. And she said, she said, well, I just, you know, I understand, you know, not everybody believes what we believe, but I just, I don't like that. Like, just didn't, she didn't like the symbol, okay? <laughs> about, yeah. I don't know, maybe 30, 30 minutes later, they're promoting the book at the conference, and I'm, I'm standing there, and she's, She's sitting in the back. I know she's witnessing all of this. And I'm like, I'm one that's actually, yeah. believe it or not, I'm not a Trinitarian, you know. <laughs> I promise. It's just. So uh, I you might have got Jordan a Bible Price, study from her. The co- yeah, <laughs> yeah he, uh, she, yeah. Was, she was she was uh, adamant about her oneness. But jo- yeah, Jordan Pride designed the cover. He did a great job because I do get people that will. Yeah, I it's you, you and I, a mutual friend, Brother Nate Whitley. Uh, he promoted yeah. the book on his Facebook account. And he was sending me messages yeah. like, hey, bro, like, I've yeah. got one of those people that are like, what's that on the cover? I can't believe he's got the symbol <laughs> of the trick. So I, I'm very, oh, I, to me, I told Jordan it's a home run. I mean, it's, it's an eye grabber. Yeah. And it's, it's getting people, sure. it's getting people on the book. So. <laughs> That's great. Well, we, we, we wish you well in this, in this project. We're looking forward to promoting uh, it more and maybe even giving away a copy uh, to one of our, our listening audience uh, soon. So as we wrap this up and right before I have you pray for us, I want to just kind of, I told you earlier, I want to do just like a little bit of a lightning question, uh, some of the debate within the AR community. So let's just, let's get this started. Um, which do you prefer, digital books or hard copy? Hard copy. Digital copies can be deleted, and they are being deleted off people's devices. Uh, I'm a hard copy fan all the way. All right. Books, bookmarks, fold the page, or put anything handy to mark your spot? Never fold the page. I, I, I don't fold pages. <laughs> I don't write in my oh, book. Oh, boy. You can, you can use a – if you want to use a Post-it note and write on that and stick it in the book, that's fine. Don't write on the book. Don't fold. Yeah. yeah. I, I bookmarks or I'll be honest, I use things, I business cards, you know, pieces of paper. Yeah. Any, any bookmarks fine, but no, don't, don't fold the page. That's bad. Well, I, you know, I, I'm going to confess to you and we'll just have to do some therapy later, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a page folder, but you send me that book. I'll guarantee I won't fold one page. I'll get a bookmark that'll be specific yeah. for it. Okay. So, uh, book covers, book covers, toss them or keep them. Keep them. Uh, I I used to not think that, but I used to take them off. It turns out dust jackets actually serve a purpose. They they really do take care of the the binding on the cover and keep it from getting flushed and yeah. washed out. And and also that you know it's a bookmark, right? You know the dust jacket you can use as a bookmark. So yeah, keep them on. We're we're on the same page there, my friend. <laughs> and finally, is it acceptable to write in books or is that sacrilegious? Well, I don't know about sacrilegious, but I wouldn't do it. I, 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 I cringe <laughs> if I go to a used bookstore. I hate it when I go to a used bookstore and I find the book I wanted. Like, that's the copy I wanted. 
I'm ready. And I take it off the shelf and I open it and it's just pen marks and <laughs> highlighters up. and everything. I, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was that was fun. I'm sure we'll have some nice chatter on uh, the Apostolic Review uh, of folks about all this content. <laughs> Brother Gil, thank you for your time today. I mean this. This has been edifying for me personally, getting to catch up with you and uh, hear these wonderful testimonies about um, um, your background, your education, and developing this book. We're really excited about it, and we thank God for you. Um, if you would today, I'd ask that at, as we dismiss, if you'd just say a prayer um, over our community. Um, I just, I think that'd be wonderful, my brother. Certainly. Father, we're thankful for the time that we've had together over this podcast. I pray that you would bless every listener, uh, everybody who's taking the time to tune in to support, yes. uh, AR. We, uh, we pray God that your hand would be upon them and that our conversations would be fruitful through this podcast. I, I believe, uh, that when the word goes forth through conversation, through preaching, through teaching, uh, that uh, the question is not if the seed's good, but if the soil is good. And so I pray, Master, that our, our soul would be right, that we would receive it with gladness, and that we would take the things that we learn, and that we would take it out into a lost and dying world, that we'd be effective in your kingdom. And I pray that uh, your hand would be upon this awesome team of people that have put this together, that you'd continue to bless them, and that they would multiply and be effective in your kingdom. We give you all the glory and all the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Gil. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the Apostolic Review, please visit apostolicreview.com.